0: How to maintain derailed projects. Welcome to episode forty-five. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Georg Lohre, and this is the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. You get know-how, tools, processes, and surplus information in this podcast. Or, in a nutshell, I give you my best for your success in embedded systems projects. Here and when I'm asked for. What's about this project troubleshooting? What does it mean? What are you guys doing? Who does need this kind of stuff? And what's the benefit? To respond to all your questions, I have invited a friend of mine. He has done this kind of work for roughly 10 years. Mike Fingston is an elaborated engineer, a versatile project leader, and he has saved a lot of projects under rough conditions. He meanwhile works as a mentor, speaker, author and coach for specific topics around about projects in trouble. He will tell us a lot about his very personal way of coping with projects in trouble, the regular steps he has used and about his experiences during this whole journey. You should listen to this episode if your project is in trouble and you have already thought about some external support or you want to know details about this kind of external consulting and how it might look like. And it will become especially worthwhile if you consider to work yourself as a project troubleshooter, but you do not yet exactly know whether this is the right way for you personally. This episode will support you in understanding the different steps how derailed projects might find a way out of trouble, what kind of essentials you have to take into account, and perhaps also whether this approach is the right one for you, your project or your company. All links and further details are available, as always, at the show notes on com slash episode 45. But now, let's jump right into it, stay tuned, and be inspired. Mike, how do you have become a project troubleshooter? Uh, it's it's a little bit like travel
1: above 15 years. I, I started my career 2000 after finishing my mechatronics engineering uh, um, University, and uh, um, I started as a software engineer. I've been mm-hmm. a software engineer, and my main responsibility is uh, was the the algorithm for thriving lights in a car. Mm-hmm. So this is the, where I start on eight bit microcontroller, and we have model based algorithm development. And uh, I'm the one who have to take the model, transfer it into code and press the code in this 8-bit uh, microcontroller which isn't able to run a model-based algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the starting point 2000 for CEDIS uh, development project as a supplier uh, based uh, project I worked in. and um, Not, not so long time later the Leaders in the area ask me if I want to be the software development uh, project leader for the okay. software team, and I said yes. Okay, why not? It's interesting. <laughs> Leadership is interesting. So, if you ask me, okay, it's fine. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm and I'm uh, had the role as a responsible software development project manager for the team, I have a small team uh, which is responsible for the complete Mercedes swiveling light unit um, for the software in it and mm-hmm. a year later the general project manager appears on my desk <laughs> and asks me some systems related questions mm-hmm. and this is the first time I recognize okay um, there are mechanical engineers leading projects doesn't understand which behavior, special behavior, embedded software in a in embedded environment would have. It's not mechanical. A mechanical system can broke.
0: Mm.
1: A software system can't broke. So um, this is the first time they ask me question about the system, about the, 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 the interaction between the subsystems, etc. 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 And not so long later, I was a responsible system engineer in the overall project. (laughs) Sometimes it (laughs) goes fast.
0: (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) It's about three years I'm talking here. Um, And with this new role... I become the troubleshooter. So because I am the guy who is responsible for the system, it's a very complex system. We have, uh oh, try to remember, we, there were three or four, four sub-teams Mm -hmm. A sub-team for the embedded software, a sub-team for the complete uh, uh, electronical parts, a sub-team for the mechanical parts on the steering unit side, a sub-team for the mechanical parts on the headlamp side. So it's a big, big team with a whole lot of specialized engineers in it. And as a system engineer, I'm responsible to communicate with all of them. Mm-hmm. And to explain, okay, why we can't put this software into this small microcontroller or why the microcontroller have to be like designed like XYZ to get it in the housing, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, et cetera. And uh, clearly enough, enough, there is the situation that the customer came to the general project manager and asked him, okay, we have a problem, a big problem doesn't work, whatever. I need a solution. And okay. then this general project manager turns and pointed on me <laughs> and said, okay, here's Mr. Finston he's a responsible systems engineer. Ask him. And then I have to solve the troubles. And uh, this is the first step into this area, troubleshooting and uh, I was responsible for this type of project. Later on I get uh, some additional project on my desk with other international um, automotive um, uh, companies and um, in the year 2005 I decide to get a freelance engineer. I want to travel the world, I want to see different projects, I want to see different companies. And um, yeah, and I ask myself, okay, what is the best I can sell? Mm. And okay, I look back, turned my, my view on five years, and I see, okay, troubleshooting in the automotive development area and specialized for rescuing projects in the development
0: you just mentioned the difference between uh, software and mechanics, but you have studied mechatronics. Could you just give a short glimpse? What does it mean? What does it cover? Yeah,
1: Mechatronics is a a special type of engineering um, study you can uh, learn at the university. Um, I read one-third of the mechanical books for the mechanical engineers. I read one-third of the books for the electrical engineers, and I read one-third of the books from the software guys. So I'm a more general overall systems engineer, not so specialized in one area very deep. I'm more, more specialized in understand and be able to, to handle complex systems. So I can talk to all of them. This is oftentimes a big problem when you have complex systems with big projects. There is a mechanical, uh, mechanical engineer, and he uses the word module. And there's an electrical engineer, he also uses the word module. And there's a software engineer, he also uses the word module. All three of them use the same word, but means a whole lot different thing. Yeah. And this is a colleague of mine. Uh, <laughs> used the 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 flying words. We are communication broker, oh, information okay. broker. Yeah, right.
0: yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. So this is the, the the engineering studies mechatronics, but you can call it systems engineer if you want to.
0: Mm-hmm. And it started quite. That- out, out of this kind of education, it sounds quite natural to to start it in the automotive industry, but I, I consider it will be also possible to work in different industries.
1: Yes, of course. All my uh, former uh, colleagues, the other students uh, have gone into several different uh, branches. Um, I'm I'm one of the guy who who started his career in automotive. We have one who's in robotics robotics of course is nearby this type of study um but there's also a guy big best friend friend of mine today who's uh, started in in web i t area um a guy who's going to mechanical pump systems so very mechanical driven business case so we have a different type of careers afterwards.
0: Taking five or six years into account, it's quite a a steep career ladder uh, to become some kind of a project responsible for Mm. uh, several subsystems then. So there must be something in your, uh, yeah, maybe personal skills or personal attitude which have been Somehow discovered by your superiors, and they say, "Hey, that, this seems to be the guy who can manage all these things together." So, what do you think? What were the the main impacts which have des- let the guys decide that you are the right person? Mm. Um,
1: I think one point is that I love to work internationally. Okay. Um. So, whenever an international development project appears and run into trouble, I'm the guy who asks, okay, could you rescue him? It's not so often that I uh, saved complete German development project. Oftentimes we have different uh, settings. The last big uh, troubleshooting project I've rescued as a troubleshooter, uh, I hand over back to the customer at the end of... October 2013 and this is a big project 150 persons inside the project uh, located all over the world, uh, um, Egypt, China uh, India, France, US, Irish An Irish test driver on it, so a whole lot different type of cultures and I love for, to work in this type of culture, so this is I think one thing the other thing is I love to lead in a type of leadership, not management, a type of leadership um, and um, yeah, I, I love to work in this special type of situations a project is in when it's in trouble, so uh, maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a personal type of thing, but um, in my active times I love to work in projects which are yeah, tr- have troubles a whole lot, and you have to 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 do the right things right on. You don't have time to discuss in a whole different de- depth of, of the solution. You have to decide very fast. So this is an environment I love to work as a troubleshooter.
0: Okay, but that's pretty much not the environment the companies regularly love that we are in. So it's it's yeah. something we we try to avoid. But if I imagine that you uh you, you are let's say you are ordered to do these things or you are hired to do this kind of derailing of of failing a project somehow what are the what are your or what were your particular steps if you jump into these shoes and they say okay now i have to start with the uh, uh, doing the garbage collection and bring him back on on track so what do you have done
1: um i have a uh, establish a five step system for me as a troubleshooter the first com- very important step is I step into the responsible role as a troubleshooter. So I'm a leader in this team, and the first thing I have to do is to save the team because oftentimes the top management stand in the development department nearby the table, at the desk of the special super expert, whatever software, hardware, mechanics, whatever. And ask him, is the project okay or do you have tr- problems? And then he say, okay, I have problems. My um, emulating hardware doesn't work. Uh, my, my license for my, my mechanical construction software uh, is broken, whatever. This is the answer this special engineer, highly specialized engineer, give to this top management guy. But what the top management guy here is, we have a problem. And the first step is to to establish like an umbrella for the team, so that the top management only were allowed to talk to me as a troubleshooter, and don't push all the specialists in the team, because the 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 there's there's a second psychological part of it. You are the specialized embedded software diagnostic guy Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and you sit on your desk and do your whatever task you have to do actually and then your top C-level manager appear on your desk with a whole lot of feathers on his head and ask you a question how the project running and there are so a whole lot of delta in between these different decision-making jobs that oftentimes this small little guy on the desk get even more smaller and doesn't want to give an answer. So I have to establish this umbrella. This top C-level manager have to talk to me, not with the team, with me. And the second part in this this first step is to establish trust and, and responsibility because oftentimes these teams are running since weeks, doesn't see their families, doesn't see their friends, colleagues, doesn't have done their hobbies for, for some times month. And I have to, to raise them up and form the team again. And or, which is also important, see which member of the team is burned out. So to talk with him in a very respectful, open manner and find a way how they can step out of this special project. So I need a team which is performing and I, this first step is to, to, to establish this team again.
0: I can imagine that if one of these C-level guys appears at, at the poor man's desk, uh, they will be not that appreciated if someone like you is jumping in and preventing them from doing their regular uh, discussion talk with the guys to get a first-hand information. So, mm-hmm. what was the reaction? How do you have prevented these guys from tackling your, your protected guys now?
1: Mm. Um, it depends of the, of the personality of this C-level manager. Sometimes they are open-minded and they understand why I'm here. And then I step in as an external. I was an external leader, not embedded in the hierarchy. So I'm here to save their project. And this, this open-minded C-level managers doesn't have problems with this type of communication. But sometimes there are some top-level managers who have problems due to the risk on their career. Because if the project fail, maybe career fail from this manager. Well, of course. Of course. Yes. So they try to get their hand in the team and have uh, first-hand information. And this is a special situation for me because I'm an external leader. And then if I see something like this behavior, I go to this manager and say, okay, I'm here to save your ass. I save your career. If you do this stuff you broke this team. You broke the communication. I am not here to get a career in your company. I can step back whenever I want to. But remember, I am here to save the project. And this saves your career. This means you have to play my rules.
0: Okay. Yeah. Some kind of clarity in the yeah, of not only the communication, but also in the way you want to go. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm. Okay, I see. What was the second step then? <laughs> Um the second important step is
1: to get a clear picture which requirements are important which wishes are behind the system which you want to develop and to get a signed customer requirement specification because this is this is a very important step when you are doing this type of job i need a strategy to get this derailed project back on track. So for this strategy, I need a fundamental, clear, basic
0: thing, which is signed and communicated. So with signed, you effectively mean that it's physically signed. So there is a commitment. Physically signed, yeah. It's a commitment. I need a clear
1: commitment. On the other side if I have the situation that I don't have a clear signed commitment onto the requirements from the customer side, I can set up a strategy and I can run this strategy and after three months, they completely shift their requirements and my complete work was for the waste, for the bin. So this is very important to get this clear uh, 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 commitment due to the requirements. So I need... A customer requirement specification. And in the automotive industry, we have two different situations. One situation, they hand over me a, a document with three or four pages. <laughs> yeah. And in, in, into these documents, there are sentences which try to be requirement statements. But one sentence is black. This is a customer point of view and to the requirement. The, the second sentence is red. This is a project view onto this uh, requirement and then there are green uh, uh, sentences which are commands due to these requirements. And this is nothing useful. So I don't have a custom requirement specification. One's one typical situation. Other typical situation, they say, yes, of course, we doesn't have a problem. Here is a stack, big pile, of documents take uh, take take a, a, a um, transport uh, machine and put this pile of documents beside my desk and then I take a look on these documents and I have to read them all through into i, I, I I have the feeling I need six months to read all the documents. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine <laughs> so, yeah. so it's it's more or less also worthless. And um, so I, I need a clear, meaningful requirement specification which is signed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have a clear view which requirements we need to fulfill. We have a clear view which must be at the end uh, when we are releasing the system be available as features, as components, as interfaces, et cetera, et cetera. So we need a clear picture which is useful, a document which is useful. And so the second step is to establish a custom requirement specification in two weeks, including the signage of the document.
0: May I have a heretic question, potentially heretic, because (laughs) might it be possible that a lot of companies you have worked for, it was the first time we come into the situation to provide such a kind of document in a way that it is usable? Yes, of course. (laughs) It's normal business. uh, Going to these
1: two situations, the first situation belonged to the situation that no one was responsible for requirements, engineering requirements management. The second one is there is someone who is responsible by order, mm. not by interest. And he produces a lot. <laughs> and he produce, he writes down everything into this document. So, there's a huge pile of documents. And when I use this document, I can throw away oftentimes 60-70% of the document, which is useless.
0: But you don't know which 60, yes this is a
1: problem. Yeah. you have to write uh, read all the documents, and this takes some month to get an overview. but I have normal in the normal situation, I have a time frame of six months that we have to release the project so i I'm not able to read it because I have to to finish my project six months later
0: you need to to, to find some kind of solution yes. and uh, I don't want to talk now about it but I can already promise also to the audience guys there will be an additional episode with Mike and we are talking exactly about these details how to get into contact how to manage this kind of requirement he just he just mentioned uh, but this will be a different episode.
1: Yeah I think it's a good idea because this is also a deep deep uh, talking stuff yeah.
0: When we are at the third step
1: yes now I have Hopefully, my signed customer requirements specification, now I'm able to establish a strategy. So I have to develop a strategy how we can fulfill all the the project goals, the systems requirements, the, the time framing, whatever. And find a way we, uh, at first decide this is a goal we can met. this is a requirement we can met. This is a goal we doesn't able to, to met in six months. This is a requirement which isn't be able to, to uh, establish into the system in the next six months. And this is a requirement which we can establish in a small, minimal, viable type of thing. But overall, I need a strategy. So I have to uh, switch on my brain and think about, okay, which part of the project we can deliver, which part of the project we aren't able to deliver, which part of the project isn't able to deliver now, maybe after the release of the, of the pro, or after finishing the project in the new update project, whatever. Um, and when I have a, a clear strategy, I have to take this strategy discuss this strategy with the top management from the supplier company. Of course, they have to understand, which is my my idea, with this strategy, how can we go this way to fulfill the wishes that we are able to deliver in six months. And if they are clear on this strategy, I have to go to the customer and then discuss the strategy also with the top management or the middle, middle, middle management and the top project manager on the customer side from the supplier. Because they also have to commit to this strategy. And if I have the commitment from both the supplier management and the customer
0: management, then I can start the fourth step it means there is some kind of intrinsic requirement for this kind of, of third step. So you are, if you're dealing internally, so if, with your customer who is now requesting to mm-hmm. have this pro- project be saved, uh, you, you agree the strategy, what's, what's one step? But then going to the customer of the customer and agreeing the same strategy intrinsically means that there might be changes inside of what the customer originally has expected to be delivered. What what about that one? Do you do you reduce that or how is it managed? That Um, at first
1: I include the customer in the first phase of establishing a customer requirement specification. I have a workshop type, and he is also invited to in the workshop, and this type of workshop, I I establish a system footprint, so-called system footprint, very visual type of work, and at the end of the day, we have a system footprint, which include the view of the supplier and the view of the customer. So they know me, and they know which, which requirements and wishes we are talking about. But of course, at the end, I'm getting in contact when I'm negotiating this type of strategy at the customer side that oftentimes new management levels appear and want to have changes.
0: Yeah, okay. Good, yeah. Might be natural. Yeah. That also means that uh, somehow your customer is uh, admitting to his customer, we have a problem and Mm -hmm. therefore we are introducing some particular person from the outside, so Mike Pfingsten in that case. And how how does the customer of the customer um, honor that? How does he accept it? Is it accepted at all? Um,
1: Yeah, it's accepted. Um, The history of such type of project oftentimes is very similar. This supplier have a development project and they have a budget for the project. For example, they have a project budget, 5 million euros, 10 million, 50 million euros, whatever. 55 million, whatever.
0: whatever.
1: So they have a budget for the project. And then they are starting their project and they're running their project. And then there comes a very special moment when a team member wants to write his hours into the report. And the assistant or the secretary tells him, okay, fine, but we are out of money on your SAP number.
0: Okay.
1: (laughs) And this is the first time they are recognizing, oh, maybe, maybe we have a problem because the budget is gone. And um, this is the first initiation when the... Oftentimes, when the management recognizes, okay, we have some some issues here, we have a problem maybe, they need oftentimes some weeks to discuss this special situation with the customer, but the customer oftentimes recognizes the situation much, much further. Um, and then they introduce, this is type of my old business uh, case, Sometimes at the customer side, the people know there is a special guy, the troubleshooter, this Mike Fingston, and go to the supplier and say, okay, we have this feeling that you need a special uh, type of guy here. Ask Mike Fingston. This is one type. The other way around, oftentimes, the the development uh, responsible in the development uh, department know each other, and the guy from supplier A Talked to the guy to, from supplier B and told him, oh, well, there's a problem in our project. We're I'm not it's, it's derailed. And then this uh, development department manager or director uh, told him, okay, last year there's a special guy called Mike Fingston. He saved our project. Here's a contact card. Ask him.
0: Okay. So it's a recommendation though.
1: It's oftentimes a recommendation type of thing. There aren't so much troubleshooting expert in the automotive industry and the automotive industry itself in the development area is very
0: small. So we know each other. So there is some kind of... of recognition by the, by the, by the, by the customer of the customer who says okay there seems to be something going wrong and we might have we want to support you so in a yeah in a in quite uh, egoistic way to say okay mm-hmm. we want to have our product be delivered be delivered and therefore we want to assist you but if it's if it's vice versa i'm i'm only in um, i'm only considering or Uh, Trying to imagine the moment the guys come up with uh, we originally have always announced towards towards the customer everything is fine we are on track so no problem and suddenly Mm -hmm. we come up and say oh by the way we now have a troubleshooter with us so it Mm -hmm. might be some yeah a little bit surprise on the other side or how do you have how do you have uh, experienced that? Um,
1: Officially it's a surprise yes okay (laughs) so yes it's um, it's clear Um, but. The good managers uh, or the, the good engineers or the good experts oftentimes get indicators much, much further. So oftentimes six or 12 months before the official communication appear. So beside the official communication path, these project teams communicate with each other and they get a feeling, okay, run, they are running out of time, they are running out of money, maybe they are running out of the ability to handle the tech- new technology, whatever, and then the 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 uh, automotive manufacturer tried to support the supplier somehow, not officially, but unofficially. But then, at least when the money is gone, they have to raise their hand and communicate that they have a problem and then this this project skyrocketed through the the management levels to the top uh, c level at the automotive uh, manufacturer yes of course
0: good okay what what about what about the fourth step you already announced or try to introduce
1: um the fourth step is that i have communicate the strategy and they have said okay we can uh, commit to this com- strategy then i have to implement this strategy this is this is ongoing hands on work this is project ma- like project management we have to do A, B, C. I use in 2005 agile methods for running this type of faith um Two, wings, uh, two, two, two weeks sprints uh, retrospectives clear uh, um, scrum like um, commitment in the team who is responsible for which task etc cetera, etc cetera, far far before frameworks like scrum or others peers I have a network here in Cologne into this agile uh, um, community in 2005 and i see okay what which, which method they are using how do they do they use stuff and i can implement this type of project methods leadership etc cetera, etc cetera, into my framework because i'm outside the normal processes so i'm able to establish my process and not to follow all the normal Heavy loaded, special, or traditional type of processes which are normal in the development uh, department.
0: Yeah, and I can Im- I can imagine that the customer or your customer will be. Um, free to accept this kind of different process despite his own internal processes because it's an extraordinary situation and he might, he will escape or he wants to escape. And if the fire brigade is in front of your burning house, you accept every ladder, yeah? So, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter then.
1: This is uh, oftentimes the biggest problem. Of course, I take the quality engineer in this development project with me, so I discuss this strategy also with him. I discuss with him which type of uh, processes we will use and which type of processes I decide not to use and which type of methods I use and not use etc. 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 So I always get this guy informed because he is an important decision maker uh, at the end of the project. But um, yes of course I I came with my, my own framework as a fire brigade and I said okay you want to get your fire off here. This is the way we are doing.
0: Save the skin and then at least escape here this (laughs) direction. Yeah, I see. (laughs) I assume this was the the step which has the longest duration.
1: Yeah, Normally three to four months.
0: Okay, I see. What about the fifth step then? It should be some kind of final step or?
1: Yeah, yeah. This is the important part um, in the project where I, as a leader, have to step out.
0: Okay. Mm.
1: The situation is that I came on board. Oftentimes, the team and the management doesn't really know who I am. You have this normal team building thing running. And now we are in a situation that we have done this very special type of project, and we see there's light at the end of the tunnel and we reach our goals. But I'm not an internal hierarchy embedded leader. My type of leadership means I try to make myself un, um, how can I call it? Um, uh, they don't need me anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This this type yeah. of
1: yeah, the, the from the first day I try to implement strategies, methods, uh, responsibilities, etc., 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 which leads into this fifth faith where I'm able to step back because they don't need me anymore. Yeah. Now, this is very important not only for the project because they are running the project themselves again. This is also important for me because as a troubleshooter, this is a very heavy, special situation, a very, very um, energy-loaded situation, and after a fix, at least after 12 months, I must step back and recover. I feel this energy and, and situation running a project in this type of area, and I have to go out.
0: Already in the first step, it's clear what you will leave. Finally, so it's different from a, from an internal who is regularly uh, established to stay for a rather long time if if mm-hmm. nothing nothing exceptionally happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what about what about the situation? The last step, so something like um, are the guys. I, th- I don't know whether they love that you leave because you have made that big trouble and you have overtaken and, and kicked the rules, for example. Or on the other side, we say, no, this guy is that good and we want to continue the work mm. with him. Uh, let's try to convince him to become an internal. What about that? Mm. This is part of the strategy
1: in this fifth phase that I'm able to step back because I don't want to get an employee in this company. This is not my career. I'm an entrepreneur, a special type in my active times as a troubleshooter, a very special type of freelancer, very highly educated by by practice as a project manager. And of course, they see my abilities and they see how I work and how I communicate internally to the customer and overall in the international area. They are highly interested to get me on board, of course. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, so, I have oftentimes the situation, they ask me if I want to be an employee. They ask me if they can hand over the next troubleshooting project they have. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a whole different uh, type of, of request I have after. Sometimes I Came back. I have one customer, one supplier. I rescued and saved three times their projects, three different projects, and um, but on a time frame of five years. So this this development director uh, called me back uh, one and a half year later and asked me if I'm able to uh, uh, get responsible and and save another project and I, my first thought is okay, maybe there is a learning lag here and uh, but I helped uh, and of course I supported him and uh, take over uh, the responsibility as a troubleshooter but then step back and one and a half year later he asked me again for the third project and then after handing over I stepped back and then I said this is what I'm uh, at the end of my active faith as a troubleshooter Um I step back and say okay. It's a nice time. I love this work as a troubleshooter. I love this this education I have had because this is so special. This is is you learn so much thing you aren't be able to learn in a normal project management training. They don't talk you this stuff.
0: Mm you get it in a very concentrated way so it's yeah. everything is yeah. Yeah, yeah i see yeah. i see how, how long do you have you done it the first steps
1: i've done it is around 2003 when i switched over from the project software project manager to the system engineer to the troubleshooter
0: and i i run about 10 10 years what has come after? This? So you mentioned that there was the last project, something like uh, in the in the second half of 2013. So what has changed? Um, at first, I recognized that I am
1: not mere so into the other thing, working as a responsible troubleshooter, mm-hmm. troubleshooting, rescue derailic. Projects done, this work be responsible, leading teams, strategies, specification, whatever—all this stuff is normal work for me, or was normal work for me at the end. Faith, and there is a a special moment inside the last project I actively lead as a troubleshooter that we have a big meeting on the customer side, the automotive. Uh, a manufacturer site, and this is a normal, re- regular meeting once a month. And in this meeting, all the responsible persons meet each other. Meeting twenty twenty five people in the room, so everybody had a ten minute time frame for it for his. Uh, <laughs>
0: Presentation, presentation, a, of
1: course. Yeah, and my 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 time frame is in in, in uh, before lunch. So I have had my time frame, and after lunch, uh, I'm uh, um, uh, I'm sitting in the meeting, and I get tired. Okay, and then I fell all over in front into my laptop with, <laughs> and the production engineer uh, hit me in, in, in the side and said, okay. We hear you sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> this is a moment where I think, okay, the last time this type of situation appeared is at the university. Um, so maybe I have to go a different road now. Uh, yeah, okay, because. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite a big hit. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: it's, it's so normal. It was so normal for me mm. to save project as a, in this special role as a troubleshooter that I'm. I I feel I have to go some some different ways. And uh, besides the the end, active end, faith in my my career as an active troubleshooter, I start my own podcast. It's a German podcast called Zukunftsarchitekten, which means future ar- architects. And I put all my experience, my knowledge, all the methods I use, all this stuff, all the soft and hard project management stuff, everything into this uh, podcast. And after a year, um, the first companies outside the automotive industry. Uh, came to me and asked me if I can uh, be a speaker a paid speaker in their management uh, meetings or special events they have for the management management and also um, this decision maker oftentimes came to me and asked me if I can step into the role as a mentor for this project managers on site the customer
0: okay sounds interesting
1: and, eh? yeah it's very interesting it's a completely different type of work uh, i have been a speaker before i'm on on uh, doing speaking gigs since 2009 but it, this is different now they invite me paid me a whole lot of money that i'm speaking in inside their uh, uh, meeting or their their events and i become more and more or falling more and more in love with his type of work, giving my knowledge, my very special knowledge and type of speaking gigs and type of mentoring uh, uh, thing. Oh, this this uh, project mentoring and on the um, the community of the podcast pushed me to write my first book. So today I have launched four special engineering books where put in all my, my knowledge. And this is very interesting as an author, working as an author, working as a troubleshooter uh, f- a speaker due to the topic of troubleshooting and working as a mentor in systems engineering.
0: I think there are now two things uh, most likely for the audience. So first, it's some kind of negative. So guys, I think it's a good opportunity to... Uh, to jump into learning German, so if you want to become familiar with uh, with Mike's podcast, the Zukunftsarchitekten, <laughs> so it's something he has more than 100 episodes, so it's really something you should uh, you should listen to. And uh, it's uh, I, I know it, it's it's amazing stories, but yeah, get into touch with the language, so it's it's no problem. There are lots of courses outside, so iTalki, Bubble, whatsoever, is your friend. Get in touch into it. On the other side, I think. Mike is already, let's say, preparing or considering to also jump into the into the, into the international way of uh, of presenta- of presenting his knowledge. So there will be something upcoming in some later times. No schedule at all. Nothing. So uh, only something. Yeah, not <laughs> yep. out of thin air, but it yep. might come yep. up. Yep, I,
1: I think a whole lot about this going international thing. Um, at first, of course, I love to be international and um, talking English is a a very key thing to going international but more and more times I get emails from readers of my blog last email three weeks ago it's a system engineer from the area of Dallas who wrote me (laughs) that he reads my blog Mm-hmm. beside besides the podcast he reads my blog google, the podcast
0: google translate or what?
1: and use google translate <laughs> okay. And say, oh, okay so maybe there is an interest in my 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 story and the stuff i can uh, talk about so yes i'm prepared uh, so or i am preparing this type of international podcast i think but i don't have clear time frame maybe in the next 6 or 12 months
0: interesting thing guys it's something uh which is out in the area so it might come up (laughs) um and uh, yeah i think it's a quite amazing story so we got five steps for how troubleshooting projects could be done in some way so maybe it's for one or the other outside who finds who are looking for some kind of guidance uh there are these five steps might be quite handsome on the other side there are where is one step in between. That was the second step. That was the one to get this kind of uh, agreed requirements, uh, customer requirement uh, specification be available. And that's something we want to tackle in the next episode or in the episode in the next interview with uh, Mike on board uh, where we want to discuss in detail how he is now providing this kind of service, this kind of knowledge to the audience, to his customers in detail.
1: Yes, I'd like to go into detail with you in the next interview,
0: and I'm uh, looking forward. Yeah, Mike, was amazing. Thank you for having you. Thank you. This was former Project Troubleshooter Mike Pfingsten. Thank you again, Mike, for this chat. I'm sure that there are now questions or even comments for these topics. It's tough stuff, and there might be here and vent some misunderstanding or even concerns. This is exactly the moment you should go to the show notes and write a comment or use the feedback form and write directly. Of course, we are also interested in all other replies you want to tell us. Mike and myself would be delighted to receive your details. And now something completely different. Already now, I want to highlight the Embedded Software Engineering Congress to you guys. From November the 28th until December the 2nd, this big gathering takes place in Sindelfingen, that's south of Stuttgart, quite near to the airport. The program is online now. Have a look at the details. It's the biggest conference in Europe and I don't know whether it's in the whole world, but at least it's a very very big conference. I will be there for a presentation as Mike will be there too. Besides German presentations, there are also lots of English ones. Have a look at the website ese-congress, so it's ese-congress, but congress with a K, it's a German written one, ese-congress.de slash English, and see whether there is something in for you. I will highlight the ESE Congress in all upcoming episodes until the Congress itself. If you have the chance to visit and you will stay there, please give me a note, give me an email or inform me when we will have a meeting and we'll meet face-to-face. I would be really delighted to meet you guys. This was the Eduend 45th episode of the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. I'm Georg Laura. Thank you for listening.